couple years ago, really many years ago, uh, a bunch of my friends went to the mountains uh, for a wedding. And this was a cool experience because we didn't just go up there for the wedding. We did some, we did some fun activities uh, before the wedding. And, and so one of the things we did, we went on this incredible hike um, to, really it was an okay hike, to an incredible waterfall. And this waterfall, you might have been there, it's called Triple Falls. Has anybody been there? Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. It's, it's three waterfalls that are stacked one after another up this incline. And what's really cool about these, uh, these particular waterfalls is each one has this pool where the water falls into. And the middle one has the largest pool. And it creates this kind of whirlpool effect. And it's really deep, the water's clear. And so when we hiked up there, um, we just played for like over an hour, just swimming in it, uh, going around, getting sucked by the, the whirlpool. And, and at one point when you go under the waterfall, you kind of get sucked underwater and held down for a second. But then it releases you. It's kind of like, oh, wow. So we just kept doing that, just having a lot of fun climbing on the waterfalls. And it was an amazing experience. So then, many years later, Lindsay and I brought our four children uh, back to this waterfall. So I had this whole experience. I was looking forward to showing them the waterfall, and I talked it up. It's going to be amazing. And I wanted to share this experience um, with them. And so we, we hike up. The kids are pumped. They heard the stories. They, they were excited. They were anticipating it. But to, my, to all of our amazement, and disappointment, there was all these large, bright signs that said, no swimming, no climbing on the waterfall. And then they had these, these, um, these little fences. You could step over them, but they were very clearly marked chain fences around the edge of the waterfalls. And I'm thinking, one, this looks really ugly. Like, this is not natural. This doesn't look cool. It takes away from the beauty of the waterfalls. But two, this ruins all the fun. And so I remember sitting there thinking, I was, I was just sitting there going, everything in me wanted to just walk past those large signs and, and bring my kids along and step over the fence and go swimming and just have our own experience. There's everything in me was like, this rule is stupid. I'm, but I get it. I'm sure somebody died there or drowned and they got sued or something over there. Somebody saw and said, this is a safety concern. We need to put some signs up and some fence up and just protect ourselves. I, I understand the reality of it. But it was a real bummer. It was no fun. They had taken all the fun out of the whole experience. You know, one time we went to um, France and on top of these huge cliffs that overlook the Mediterranean seas, they have one sign. And it shows a stick figure falling to its death over the cliff. That's it. When you walk to the edge of the cliff, there's no fence. There's no extra signs. They give you the choice of how dumb you want to be. But here, there's, it was just way too much. So you ask, what are we talking about this for? It's very important. My question to you is this. Is, what, is, what, what, what would you have done? Would you have gone swimming? In that moment, would you have gone swimming? Did you go swimming? Have you gone swimming? What is your natural reaction when you encounter a rule? Especially when you're caught off guard and you're expecting to do things your way, 
And then you encounter a rule, whether it's someone telling you, or you see a new sign, or you, you just, it just meets you. What is your natural reaction when you encounter rules? Do, do, uh, you know, maybe some of you think, nope, not following that rule. That's stupid. Or, oh, that rule is no fun. Oh, I don't know if I'm following that one. That's not fun. Or this rule is inconvenient. Like there's, there's so many lights, red lights in our town that don't work together that are just inconvenient. There's one new one right next to the Starbucks on Eastwood Road. The light turns for two seconds. Turn left. Two seconds. And if you don't, if the person from you is looking down at their phone for two seconds, you miss the light. And so I have broken that rule so many times. It's exhilarating. Because there's no cars coming. I'm like, it's a red light. There's nobody around. I just got to go. And it's the most, I feel like I'm just breaking the law. Um, so yeah, it's inconvenient. Uh, it's a burden to follow. Do you think when you see a rule, it's like, oh, they're just making a suggestion to follow that. They don't mean that rule. That's just a suggestion for some people that aren't as smart as me. Or do you genuinely look at rules and go, question them, and go, I'm going to follow this rule if it makes sense. And then when you think through, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I agree with this rule. And so you follow it. Is that your personality? Or are you more just like, here's the rule, oh, okay, and you just comply to the rule. And then I think the best extreme version is would just be kind of blind obedience, not even thinking about it, just when it's a rule, I'm just going to follow it. You know, how do you respond? What's your natural reaction when you encounter rules? How do you think about rules? This is such... An important question, and more specifically today where we're going with the scripture that we're talking about, is how do you think about God's rule? How do you think about God's commands in scripture? How do you think about God's rules? And, and so what I want you to do today as we talk about this, don't just think about the law in general. I want you to think specifically about the commands of Scripture, the ones that you know and, the, and how they hit you. You know, a great starting place, because we don't get rid of the, the, the Ten Commandments, is the Ten Commandments. You know, when you go through the Ten Commandments, how do they hit you? You know, obviously the first ones are about your relationship with God. Don't have, you know, you must only worship God. Have no other gods. You may build no idols that look like gods. That's God. Don't do that. Don't use God's name and take God's name in vain. Practice the Sabbath. Work six days. Take a rest on the seventh. To use it for rest and recovery and play and worship. Don't lie or testify falsely about your neighbor. And then you start going down those holes. Don't murder. Okay, that makes sense. Like how do those hit you up? Don't have commit adultery. And then you start going through rules of the New Testament, rules about eating, whatever you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Have you ever prayed and asked God to bless your fast food? That's a miracle. Say, Lord, take this food, bless it, and nourish it to my body. <laughs> How do you handle the rules that say whatever you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. May it be an act of worship. 
how do those rules hit you? And then not only do you say amen or not amen to them, but are you practicing those rules? Because that's where the true test is. Isn't this so exciting? I've been talking all about rules. But it is so exciting when we flip it around and we apply it to our lives. And so my goal today is this. It's, it's twofold. It's to inspire you and to challenge you to see following the way of Jesus, his rules and his commands is the best way to live your life. Is the best way to live your life. I love the way Dallas Willard says it. He says, the way of Jesus, the law of God is, is the best way to be human. The best way to be a human being living with other human beings on this earth. That's what God's law is. This is such a foundational topic. So let's jump into the scripture today. Um, we're in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And so we're, we're, we've been going along the story here, and so we'll jump into it. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. And the people were watching him closely. Verse 2, there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal a person, to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and then sent him away. And then he turned to him and said, which one of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow, I love his examples there, if your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush in to get him out? Again, they could not answer him. So what's going on here? What we're going to do is we're going to walk through this, because this is all about the law. Specifically, it's about the Sabbath. It's about the Pharisees' relationship with the law. It's about Jesus' relationship with the law. It's about Jesus' intention for the law and his people, people of Israel. There's a lot going on here in this simple exchange. It's just the dinner. So the first thing we see here in verse 1 through 2, well, it, it was the Sabbath day. It was the day, one of the Ten Commandments, that was intended for no work. No work was to be done on the Sabbath, only rest and worship. It was a day set apart for rest and for worship. You were not allowed to do work. And so Jesus, on the Sabbath day, was invited to eat dinner at the home of an important Pharisee. A Pharisee in his community was a respected person because they, they were known for keeping the law. And so this was not only a Pharisee, this was a leader of the Pharisees. So Jesus was at this person's house having dinner. And so imagine like a lot of people are in the room, in the home, eating dinner. A lot of Pharisees, then a lot of other Jews were in there. And then there were people like on the outside looking in. Because people, Jesus had attracted crowds at this point. So everybody's going, what is about to happen here? They're watching the story unfold. So Jesus was at the home of the Pharisee. And I love the little detail that you could easily miss in verse 1. It says the people were watching Jesus closely. They were watching Jesus closely. We know the Pharisees were watching him closely. The Pharisees were waiting, it says in the scriptures. They were waiting, they were watching to catch him, to trap him into saying something that they could arrest him for and ultimately crucify him. 
Because they wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so they were watching him closely. Jesus knew it. There was a man, and so then there was also a man with a swollen arms and legs present, a sick man. See, this whole scene, this whole scene of Pharisees, of Jesus, of common Jews, of some of Jesus' true disciples, were all watching what was going on. And then all of a sudden there's this person that was sick that needed help. So my question is, was this a trap that the Pharisees has intentionally planted this sick person in here? So we're going through the scriptures. We're just in verse 1 and 2 here. That's what the scene was. Imagine that scene. You've got a dinner party. You've got a sick person. You've got all these Pharisees. Everybody's waiting on pins and needles, watching to see what's about to happen. And so then Jesus just makes the first move and he says, um, guys, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? And so the other person I forgot to mention, there was Pharisees, but there was also scribes or, or experts in the law present. And so he turns us to this, this question is directed at the Pharisees and the experts in the law. Is it permitted to heal, to do good on the Sabbath day, or not? That's the first question at the dinner party. And so the question, you need to understand before we, because my question is, why did he ask that question? Why did Jesus start the conversation off with this question? There's a little background information based on what we've already been through in the Gospels. One, Jesus knew the Pharisees were trying to catch him and Catch him breaking the Sabbath. How did he know it? One, because he's God. Jesus knew all things. He knew that they, he could discern that they were trying to trap him. But, but more importantly from the scripture, we knew that he was, that they were trying to, to, to trick him because they had already tried this stuff before. Like five or six times before, they had had a sick person on the Sabbath at dinner to see what Jesus was going to do. Most of the other ones you read in the earlier passages, Jesus does not ask their permission. He just shocks them by healing someone on the Sabbath. So I find it interesting that why did he ask their permission? Why did he ask them the question? But he also, and I think he was testing them because Jesus also knew, this is all background information. Jesus also knew that the Pharisees prided themselves supposedly on obeying the law. They were vocal about being good rule followers. But in actuality, Jesus broke down the way they follow the rules very detailed in many parts of Scripture, but they really only liked to, to follow the laws or they put most of their energy into following the laws that were, were visible to people, like keeping the Sabbath. Everybody knew in the community if you were keeping the Sabbath or not. But they also loved to tithe. They loved the tithe and they loved to talk about tithing. They were so good at tithing that the scripture tells us and Jesus tells us that they would tithe on their, on their herbs from their garden. They wanted everyone know, oh, I just, you know, because we ask the question like, uh, do we have to tithe on pre-tax or post-tax? Gross or net? You know, we like to get into that conversation. They're like, oh, you weaklings. You, you people of weak faith. You need to tithe on your garden. 
I, I've seen no, no tomatoes here. I've seen no peppers, no squash, no cucumbers back there in that box. We would love, I would love you to tithe on your, uh, your, your garden because you know the priest ate that because then we wouldn't have to have a garden. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but that's what they love to do. They love to do all the visible things, but then they neglected many other things that Jesus points it out. But Jesus knew this, and so Jesus was setting them up with this question. Is it, is it permitted in, the, in, the, in the, the law to heal or not on the Sabbath? And so he was setting them up. So then we go into verse 4. Or, or yeah, verse 4. And so when they refused to answer him, Jesus healed the man. Healed him. He didn't make a big scene. He just heals him. And can you believe it for the man? That must have been awesome. He was just basically a prop for this dinner party. But he got a healing out of it. And Jesus sends them away. But then the real focus of the story goes on, and, and they refuse to answer him. And so the question that I have is, why did the Pharisees refuse to answer him? Because they were trapped. They prided themselves on keeping the law. They prided themselves on being straight-A students. They prided themselves on being good rule followers. That's what they were known for. That's why they got so much respect in the community. If they said yes to Jesus, that it's okay to heal in certain circumstances on the Sabbath, if they said yes, they would have looked soft when it comes to keeping the law. And they knew that. So they didn't say, yes, Jesus, you're right. Go ahead and heal this man. So they would have looked soft. They, that wouldn't have been very pharisaical of them. But if they said, no, Jesus, it's not permitted to heal on the Sabbath, they would have looked Harsh. They would have looked hard-hearted. They would have looked heartless for humanity. Because they were putting the rules above an actual human life that needed help. And so they refused to answer him. And so what did Jesus do? He healed the man because it was the right thing to do. He healed the man because it was the right thing to do. And so... But then Jesus, he doesn't, you know, he could have just like, because that would have been an awkward conversation, awkward dinner party. That's how it started. He could have left it. He'd be like, oh, what's for dinner? Let's, let's move on. Let's, let's get this thing going. Let's move away from that awkward interaction. He doesn't let it go. He asked another question after he healed the man. And, and so what he says, he goes, which of you, that's not a general question. That's like a pointed question. Which one of you, sitting here, doesn't do work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, which one of you doesn't rush and go in and get him and save him? So he doesn't leave it. He just hammers them with another question. Pointed question. And I like how it says, it says they could not answer him. They could not answer him. They didn't know what to say. And so Jesus, he was being very intentional here. He was calling out the Pharisees for pretending to care about the law. They pretended to actually love the law. And he called them out for it and he exposed them that they had missed the whole point of the law. They pretended to care and they didn't understand the law. 
And he was showing this to everybody. I mean, imagine, put yourselves in the Pharisees' shoes. These guys were in their home turf. They were with their people, the people that respected them in the community for being such good rule followers. This is why they were respected. And this other rabbi comes in Jesus and totally exposes that they're hypocrites right in front of everybody. He didn't do it behind closed doors. He did it in front of everyone. How embarrassing and shocking would that have been for them? And humbling. And that's what he did. He calls them out for pretending to love the law and he exposes that they had missed the point. They were more concerned about looking good than being good. They weren't actually trying to follow the law in most circumstances. They were more concerned about looking like they were trying to follow the law. Because if they really cared... In this circumstance, if they really cared about the law, they would have looked at the situation and gone, you know what, Jesus, you should heal this man. Because a human life is more valuable than keeping the Sabbath. But they didn't. They just pretended to care. They missed the point of the Sabbath. They saw the Sabbath as a burden. They saw the Sabbath when, when they read the Ten Commandments and said, you shall work six days and rest on the seventh day and had all these rules and then they created all these extra Sabbath rules. They focused on the do not, do not, do not, do not. What can we not do? They didn't see the Sabbath as a, as a blessing and a gift. They saw it as a burden. And that's it. They saw the law as a burden. And so Jesus was exposing through this that, that they didn't understand the law. It's not just a, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. And they didn't have the discernment with this healing to go, you know what? The greater good here is not my rest. The greater good is to heal someone. Like Jesus gives us wisdom too. So the law was, I mean, the, the Sabbath was intended to be a blessing for humanity. Jesus redefined it when he said, that the Sabbath is made for man. Man is not made for Sabbath. Man is not a slave to Sabbath. Man is not a slave to rule keeping. The, the, the rules, the Sabbath, is a gift and a blessing to man. God knows in his infinite wisdom that if man does not have Sabbath, the protection and the blessing of Sabbath, man will keep on working. And then man will go, I'm so confused. Why do I feel so stressed out today? I don't know. I can't connect the dots. I work seven days a week. And I only think about weeks, I don't see the big picture. Did you know that if you work seven days a week, that means you don't stop working? Think about that. I'm not that smart. If you work seven days a week, that means you never take a break. And you're just working and working as a human. We are not God. We have capacity issues. We have limits as, as human beings. And so God gave us the blessing and the gift of Sabbath to protect our capacity. And not only that, when you learn to rest, you go, wow, this feels good. I can think clearly. I can like, once I rest, I can see what priorities are. I don't get, he knew that if we didn't have the Sabbath to protect us, we would actually worship work. Not because work, not necessarily because we like it, but because of the way it makes us feel. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel powerful. It gives us money to buy lots of stuff which is all meant to be a blessing, but if we don't practice Sabbath, we make work something that was never intended to be. And so these guys didn't get that. All they saw when they heard the Sabbath was blind obedience. Okay, he said, do this, do this, do this. They never even thought about it. 
That's why when a man was swollen and obviously in need, they didn't have the brain capacity to go, you know what, Jesus, it's probably a good idea. If you have the ability, why don't you heal this thing? Because they were like, do not work on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus was calling them out and he was exposing their lack of understanding. And so they could not answer. They had no words because they weren't even thinking on his level. They were in shock. And so that's the story. So what I want to, as we close the message, I want to focus on the actual purpose of the Sabbath. What is the purpose of the law? Or not the purpose of the Sabbath. What is the purpose of the law? And when I say the law, the commands of God. I like the way of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Because we, we see the Old Testament laws through the eyes and teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. And the words of Paul. Because Paul worked off Jesus' teachings too. So what is the point of the law? Because we've made a mess of it. We live in extremes. We've said some people are still living in the way of the Old Testament where they're like, follow the rules, follow the rules without thinking about the rules. And it's legalism. And they're trying to be righteous by following the rules. And then other people go, no, 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 Jesus came to bring grace. And so because of grace, the law doesn't matter anymore. And it, it, the law is insignificant. You just forget the law. Just live by grace. And what they mean by that is don't tell me what to do. Because I'm in Jesus and my sin to forgive. That's another extreme. It's, a, it's the opposite area of legalism. So we need to understand if we're going to learn to be followers of Christ that, that follow rules like Jesus said to follow with heartfelt obedience. We need to understand the purpose of the law. The Pharisees thought that following the law made them holy and acceptable before God. They were following the law kind of. Maybe the best Pharisees were following the law in order to, to, to be good before God. But a lot of Pharisees were following the law in order to look good in their community. So they were using the law for the wrong purpose. They had messed it up. But Paul tells us in the New Testament that one of the purposes of the law is that it exposes our great sin, our problem of sin. And it exposes our great need for a Savior. And so that's one of the great purposes of the law is that when you try to follow the law, you can't follow it perfectly, and you're like, oh man, I'm not a very good Pharisee. So now I'm going to just pretend. When we try to do the law, we go, oh man, I actually a lot of times do the opposite of the law. It says stop, and I go. And so it exposes our sin and our need for help, a Savior, which is Jesus Christ. So God actually uses the law to draw us to himself through the gospel. That's one of the purposes, but, but a lot of times we've stopped there and said, that's the purpose of the law. That's it. That's it. Now we just figured this thing out ourselves. And we are missing out. I don't know how you can be a Christian if that's your belief. Like to stop there, you either become a really good legalist or you just do whatever you want. And we're missing out on the design and the purposes of God for each one of us when we do that. So we have to build on top of that. So, so the law, one of its purposes is to expose our great need for God. And so when we turn to God and we get saved by God through Jesus Christ and we enter into a relationship with God, then we're set up in the power of God to live the Christian life. And we never graduate from our need for God. 
And so as you, as you live the Christian life, you always have to be turning to God in need. Okay? That's the foundation. So let's talk about what it looks like. So the second thing the gospel does, or the, the law does, is it shows us the best way to live life. It shows us the best way to approach human life. You may have never heard that, but that's what it does. It shows you the best way to be human, in the words of Dallas Wood. The law shows you how to live your life in the details of your life, your marriage, your singleness, your family, your specific job, your, your community of friends. It shows you how to eat and drink. It shows you how to take care of yourself. It shows you how to relate with other human beings. The law is the best way to live. It's the best way to be human. We don't want to miss out on that. The whole point of this message is to try to inspire you and challenge you to consider whether or not that is true instead of just doing what we've always done. Some of us hear rules and we go, nope, and we just rebel against them. And we create all kinds of messes and we go, oh, where did that mess come from? Others are a little bit uh, wiser and they go, well, I'm really going to consider and weigh things out and go, which, which of Jesus' rules make sense, which don't, and just kind of figure out which ones to follow. And then other people are a little more legalistic and they just follow blindly but never actually think about what they're doing. And then they go, why is this not bringing me satisfaction? Do it all the rules. There's a better way. It's to follow the way of Jesus in relationship with Jesus. But so my challenge to you today is to consider specific rules and whether or not they are better than your way of doing it. But I want to read some scripture here. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. I love the message version of this. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away, from, get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that one. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How, did you just like... Get a little bit of peace when you heard that? What is that? You're looking at me like this. I'll just, I'm going to assume your blank stare means, man, that was so peaceful. Because every time I read that, I'm like, oh. I've read it a hundred times, and every time I read it, I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Come away with me, walk with me, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is not primarily a verse about rest. It's not primarily a verse about self. This verse is primarily about trying to use the, the way we've tried to use the law for righteousness and for relationship with God. He's saying, I got a whole other way, a way that's way lighter. The reason Jesus' way is lighter and he can say it's free and it's better is because he did all the work. And now you're walking in his power. And so it's, it's, a, it's about the whole Christian life. But it can be applied to us. But come with me. Watch how I approach life. And then I love John 10.10 10 says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life. 
more and better life than they ever dreamed of. More little translation says, I came that they have life, life to the abundance, to the abundance. That's why Jesus came. And so if your life and the way of following Jesus doesn't have hints of that, you have to consider, am I approaching it the wrong way? And so that's what I want to challenge you to do with it, with three steps here. Because I, I want this. I want to learn the unforced rhythms of grace with Jesus. The first thing you need to do to be able to test whether Jesus' way is truly the best way to live or if, if your own way is better, is to pray and ask God to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, which is the ability to see and understand. Ask God as you're doing this to give you spiritual wisdom and insight, knowledge of God, to be able to see whether his way is better. Because if, if without Jesus' help, you're blind. It's foolishness. And so you have to ask God to give you eyes to see things his way. Number two is where it gets detailed. You're not going to have a pen or take notes on your phone. Think about God's rules. Think deeply about God's rules. You may have been a Christian for 30 years and never thought deeply about what you're doing. It's a heavy statement. Think deeply about God's word, God's commands. Why does he say what he says? And so here's how, be specific. So this would be, if you want to do this and you want to test and really work this out, then I'd really encourage you to, to do this so you'll be inspired. Pick some specific rules, commands of God that hit you. And, and answer these questions. How does this rule protect you? Or protect me? How does this specific rule protect others? How does this specific rule help and bless the whole community? Because isn't it interesting, before I said that, most of us were just thinking about God's rules in my life. God designed this for the whole world. How does this specific rule bless you? How does this specific rule bless others? How does this specific rule bless the whole community? How does this specific rule compare to the way I'm approaching life? This is a lot. This is where you need notes because you probably won't remember this. How does this specific rule compare to the way I'm approaching life in my past decisions, today, currently, in my future, and get this, this is very important. How does this rule, the way God's saying to approach this area of my life, how will it affect my legacy compared to the way I'm currently living my life and what that's going to produce in my legacy? Think about that like when I was in high school and my youth person was like, don't kiss your girlfriend. I'm like, what? I mean, I was like a very annoying kid. Well, how far can I go? And I'm like, I want the drawing of the human body, and I want lines. And all I wanted to do was be able to say, well, I'm crossing over that line. I'm going to test it myself and see if what you're saying is true. But you know what I was thinking about when I was being like that? I was thinking about myself. 
The idea of a legacy and future family and future grandkids was not even on my radar. But you know when God created the idea of purity and, and, and that being in the context of marriage, he was not only thinking about your life, not only thinking about your future marriage, not only thinking about your future kids, not only thinking about potential grandkids and their kids, just your family, he was thinking about how this rule and this way of life affects a whole community and a whole society, how it protects that society, how it blesses that society, and ultimately the whole world for timeless amounts of generations. And I'm like, oh, where's the, where's the one? Somebody pray for my wisdom and understanding. You see how beautiful and intelligent and wise God is? So if you're serious about this, go through the rules and ask them, how does this protect me? How does this bless me? How does this How is this truly better than anything that I've been doing on my own and the results I've been getting? How does this line up for for like thinking about the whole world, just not my own life? And then the third thing is this, try them on. Practice the way of Jesus in specific areas of your life. Test them. God can handle you trying out his way of life. And the fruit will always appear on the tree. If you were to do this, you will be blown away of how good and how wise and how loving and how kind God is and how good his design is for humanity. And here's the deal. Even when you see it and even when you say amen to it, we still have the struggle of sin that tries to convince us that it's not true. And so there will always be that struggle. We'll never do it perfectly. But you've got to define what is your true north so that when you fall, you know where to come back to. There's so much grace in this process. God loves you, and God will continue to keep you as you walk with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for giving us a, a lamp for our feet in a dark world. Even more than that, God, I'm so thankful that you've done the work that was necessary to to forgive us of our sin and bring us back into a right right relationship with you. And that you continue to pour grace out on us when we stubbornly disobey you. And that you, you were playing the long game in our lives slowly transforming us more and more into your image. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give us wisdom, give us understanding so we can live more like you. As this name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.